Morning, Church. Morning, Church. My name's Christine. I will be reading um, our passage <laughs> today. Um, so our passage is First John, uh, chapter five, verse thirteen to twenty-one. So it's found on page one thousand fifty-seven on the Black Bibles. So it's close to the end. I'll give you guys a little bit of time to turn to that. So, uh, starting from verse 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. If you see any brother or sister commit a sin that does not lead to death, you should pray, and God will give them life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I am not saying that you should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin, and there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who, has, who was born of God keeps them safe, and the evil one cannot harm them. We know that we are children of God, and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. We know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding, so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true by being in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. Thanks, Christine. Uh, good morning. Uh, if I haven't met you before, my name's Andrew. I'm one of the pastors here. It's great that you can uh, join us this morning, particularly um, congratulations on finding us and finding a car park, unless some significant other of yours is still doing laps around the streets trying to find one. Um, well, hopefully they'll make it before the end of church. Um, uh, it'd be great if you can have uh, 1 John open. Um, uh, this is the final uh, passage in our uh, series in 1 John, which we've been working through for the last uh, eight or nine weeks. Um, so it'd be great to wrap it up this morning. Um, uh, we have a great privilege of uh, hearing God speak through his word. So why don't you pray with me as we um, approach uh, God's word and uh, ask for him to speak to us. Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you that uh, we can uh, meet this morning, even when our usual venue is not available, that you've provided a place for us to meet. Uh, thank you that there's a roof over our head to keep us out of the rain. Uh, but Lord, we pray that um, all these things might come together so that we can hear your voice in your word and be transformed by it. Lord, we pray that we'll leave this morning with a great sense of confidence and assurance of what we know to be true, uh, because we trust in Jesus. And we pray these things. Uh, in his name. Amen. Uh, now, imagine after uh, church this morning, things are finishing a little bit later, so you uh, want to skip morning tea and go straight to lunch, and we decide to go to Yamcha on Courtney Place. And on the way to Courtney Place, we decide to do some surveying of people, and we, we, we're going to... We ask people as we walk down the street uh, whether they can know God. Uh, what do you think the most common response would be? Whether they, could know, whether they can know God. I think most people would say... Uh, I don't know. I don't know whether you can know God or not. 
Uh, if you want to be uh, like a smarty pants, the fancy word for that position is called agnostic. Uh, an agnostic. Um, agnosticism is the belief that we don't know or we can't know about the existence of God and what he's like. Uh, agnosticism is uneasy and sceptical about things being certain or concrete. Um, it taps into kind of the spirit of our age. It's, it's quite a, um, you know, uh, we love to keep our options open. We don't want to commit to one thing. We're kind of uh, terrified of anything that smells like a commitment. Uh, we want to uh, not RSVP because we, in case we get a better offer later. Agnosticism is like the ultimate of that kind of FOMO. Uh, to be agnostic, you don't need to commit to anything. You can just shrug your shoulders and say, I don't know, and that's fine. Uh, agnostic, the word, though, is interesting. It comes from Greek, uh, agnostic, so not knowing. Uh, and it's no wonder we prefer the Greek word to describe someone who uh, says they don't know about God, because do you know what the Latin version of agnostic is? Anyone do high school Latin? Uh, ignoramus. That's what it means to not know, ignoramus. Uh, so if you're at your work Christmas party later this week and you're chatting with someone and they ask what you did on Sunday and you said, I went to church, and then they say, oh, well, I don't, I don't know whether you can know about God. Uh, if you really want to kind of get the conversation going, well, you could say, I'm sorry that you're an ignoramus. Because <laughs> that's what they're saying. If they say that they don't know whether they can know about God. Into that, John has written this letter, though. John has written this letter so that we will not be ignorant. He has written this letter so that we will know, so that we'll have certainty about the things that we know. So we can be confident that we know God and we can be certain about where we stand before him. Because when we know this, when we know we can confidently stand before God, then sticking with Jesus, says John, it makes complete sense. Living his way, resisting the trials and temptations of this world, standing up for the truth. As hard as that will be, if we're confident about where we stand before God, well, it makes complete sense to keep trusting and following Jesus. Uh, John wraps up his letter with um, a kind of a, it's almost a bit of a greatest hits of what we've heard. Uh, he, he gives us six things that we can know with certainty if we have faith in Jesus. Six things we can know with certainty. We're going to run through them this morning. Um, you might have noticed uh, the word know appears all the time uh, in this passage. That's in verse 13, twice in verse 15, verse 18, uh, verse 19, and twice in verse 20. You can know that this is true. You can know that this is true. You can know that this is true. Uh, and, uh, and if you know all these things to be true, says John, then it makes sense to keep following Jesus. Um, let's see how it works as we run through these six things. And the number one thing that you need to know, uh, this is the big one. This is the one that John's whole letter has been about. Uh, this is the one that kind of strings them all together. Number one, if you know Jesus, you can know that you have eternal life. If you know Jesus, you can know that you have eternal life. Uh, now, we've... Uh, uh, chapter 5, verse 13, he, uh, John writes, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that is Jesus, so that you may know that you have eternal life. Now, if you've been with us over the last term, we've kind of come to this verse a few times already, because uh, this is like the, the driving force behind why John wrote his whole letter. He wrote it so that his readers would be confident, so they will have certainty that they have eternal life. Uh, now, you might remember that these, uh, these believers, they were uh, under pressure from their friends and their neighbors to walk away from Jesus. Uh, they're surrounded by people who are saying that Jesus, he's not the Christ, uh, that it's ignorant to think that uh, Jesus is the son of God come to earth. 
But John is writing to tell them, you can have confidence. You can know. Remember how John started the letter back in chapter 1. John started the letter by saying to him, hey guys, I was there. I lived with Jesus. I saw Jesus. I heard him. I spent time with him. And I'm telling you that Jesus really is the Son of God. And here, John finishes his letter by reminding them that those who believe in Jesus, those who believe that he is the Son of God, well, they really will have eternal life. Now, if we pause for a moment, to have eternal life, that is an amazing thought. To know for certain that you will be with God and his people, enjoying his blessing for all eternity. That's amazing. A lot of people hope that when they die, they'll go to heaven. But if you trust in Jesus, John says, you can be sure. And that's not an arrogant thing to say. He said before that we can can only be saved because of what God has done for us in Jesus, that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. So you you can have that hope not because you're a great person, but because Jesus is a great saviour. And we can know that for sure. Uh, And when you know something like that for sure, for certain, it really shapes how we experience life now, doesn't it? Um, One of the things, uh, if you've been around Sydney Hill for a little while, you'll hear me kind of rant against is bucket lists. Um, I think a profoundly unchristian idea to have a a bucket list. Uh, If you don't know what um, uh, a bucket list is, uh, a bucket list is a list of things that you want to achieve in your life before you kick the bucket, before you die. Uh, But if you know that you have eternal life, you don't need to waste this life ticking off pathetic experiences when compared to the life that you have to come. You have all of eternity to ski those mountains. You have uh, life without end to enjoy those experiences, to try that food, uh, to go to visit that place to enjoy all the wonderful things that God has made. So don't waste this life chasing them down. Instead, you can relax and you can focus on God and his kingdom. You can focus on the one thing that you can take, well, there's two things you can take with you into that eternal kingdom. Do you know what those two things are? Your own godliness and people. They're the only two things you can take with you. Uh, Friends, friends and family who have come to know and love the Lord Jesus. So don't waste this life chasing other things. You have eternity for that. Uh, Spend this life on Jesus and his kingdom. Uh, As John said so many times in this letter, if you believe in Jesus, then you're born of God. You're one of his children. You have his spirit. So you know for certain that you have eternal life. So you can rest easy in him. The second thing we can know, uh, John says, is that you can know that you are heard by God. Verse 14. Uh, Verse 14, uh, this is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, and I'll just pause there. Uh, It's a bit sentence, I know, but um, uh, I want this to register with you. If you believe in the name of the Son of God, if you believe in Jesus, you know you have eternal life and you have confidence approaching God and you can approach God knowing that the God of all the universe that he hears you. That he hears you. 
and that he hears you not as a random stranger kind of knocking on the door. Like Friday afternoon, we had the Hello Fresh guy come and knock on the door, just a random bloke bowling up. No, he hears you as one of his children. Just like a mother can hear the cry of her baby in a crowded and noisy room. Their ears are kind of attuned to their voice. John is saying God is like that. So whether you're speaking to him in the silence of your room at night or whether you're calling out to him uh, during the day in a noisy office or a chaotic hospital or a busy classroom, he hears you. His ears prick up at the sound of your voice. And that's astounding. Do you know that um, God doesn't promise that for everyone? Uh, I don't think there's anywhere in the Bible where God promises to hear the prayers of those who are not his people in the same way he does here. I mean, I know he is God, right? So he does hear everything. Uh, But there is nowhere that he promises to respond or to hear the requests of those who are not his children in this way. But he does for you if you trust in his son, Jesus. In fact, more than just simply hearing you, uh, the third thing to notice there is that know that God answers your prayers. Verse 15. uh, And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have it. We have what we have asked of him. Uh, Now, I need to be a little bit careful here. Uh, Please notice that John is not saying that God will do absolutely whatever you ask of him. Uh, I mean, sure, you can go and pray to God and ask him to give you the numbers for the Powerball or whatever it is. Um, uh, And as a follower of Jesus, you can be certain that God has heard that prayer uh, for the Powerball numbers. But remember back to verse 14. The context here is about asking for anything according to his will. According to his will. In other words, when we ask for things in line with God's loving intentions for us, then of course he'll give them to us. And so if God doesn't give you the Powerball numbers, well, then God has decided that that is not part of his good and loving will for you. That is not a good thing for you, God says. God is not going to withhold from you anything good. Just ask him for it, and it's yours if it's in accordance with his will. Uh, Now, we do have to be honest and say that um, uh, sometimes this can be a hard thing to wrestle with. Uh, Sometimes we might pray for something and we think it is good and yet God doesn't give it to us. Sometimes we really do ask and we really do have the right motives and the answer that comes back is no or not now. Now as hard and as painful as those times might be, it's helpful for us to remember what we saw back in chapter 4. Back in chapter 4 we saw that God is love. That, That God is not mean-spirited. We've seen the ultimate example of that as, as God sent his one and only son into the world to die in your place, to save you as a sacrifice for your sins. And we see in that that God is for you. He is for you more than you can imagine. And so, even though it is hard, we can have confidence and we can trust that he knows what he is doing. And everything you ask, you'll have if it is in line with his good and perfect will. And in the context of 1 John, I think the absolute best thing that John has in mind here of asking from God is asking for eternal life. 
because uh, that's immediately where he goes to uh, in talking about prayer, uh, making sure that those around you remain in Christ, that they have eternal life. Uh, have a look there in verse, 15, uh, verse 16. Uh, if any of you see a brother or sister commit a sin that does not lead to death, you should pray and God will give them life. I refer to, I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. Now, it's a little bit complicated here, but I think what John is saying is he wants us to pray for our brothers and sisters who might be entangled in sin. Pray and uh, pray for them, asking uh, that God will forgive them, God will continue to forgive them, that God will give them life. Asking that God will work in them to restore them back to himself. And John is saying, of course God will do that if you ask. He loves doing that. They are his children, so he will give them life. That is, that's, that's the whole point of God sending Jesus. Pray that God will give them life. He's already dealt with the sin. It's already been forgiven. We saw that back in John chapter 1. Uh, John chapter 1 verse 7, John wrote, And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Mind you, John does say that there is one sin not to pray about. As there at the end of verse 16, John says this. He says, uh, There is a sin that leads to death. I am not saying that you should pray about that. Now, at this point, many of us are going, uh, John, uh, what are you talking about? Uh, can you be a little bit more specific about this? Um, maybe this is another one of these things that kind of in the new heavens and new earth, when we meet John, we'll ask him a question about this one. Um, some people read this passage and they think that John is referring to an unforgivable sin uh, here. Uh, even though the phrase unforgivable sin is not in this passage. Uh, and... Um, the phrase an unforgivable, unforgivable sin, I'm sure you've heard it before if you've been around church for a little while. Um, it's a really unhelpful phrase at times because as soon as you mention it, half the people in the room are worried they've done it. Um, and uh, there's no shortage of kind of random and unhelpful suggestions as to what the unforgivable sin might be. Uh, some will say it's divorce or suicide uh, or abortion or some, uh, some particular sin. And I've heard them all. Uh, but don't worry, they're not the unforgivable sin. Uh, and the idea here of an unforgivable sin, it, it, it totally undermines the int intention of what John is saying here. Because uh, remember verse 13, why is John writing this? Uh, this passage is all about those who believe in Jesus knowing and having confidence and having assurance and comfort that they have eternal life. And so in a, in a part of the Bible where John is building confidence that we have eternal life, it would be strange for him to drop in this unforgivable sin uh, and then not mention what it is. Instead, we need to look closely and see that John's talking about a sin that leads to death. A sin that leads to death. Uh, now, to work it out, I think we need to go back to verse 12 uh, from last week. I think that's vital. Verse 12 says, Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. So it seems to me that in the context, the sin that leads to not having life, that is death, the sin that leads to death is the sin of not having the Son. It's the sin of rejecting Jesus. And John is saying here, don't bother asking God to give eternal life to people who consistently and continually reject Jesus. If someone's walked away from Jesus, is there, if they're consistently ignoring Jesus, don't ask God to give them eternal life while they continue to rebel against him in that way. 
Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. A much better thing to pray, and I think John would agree with this, pray for God to soften their heart, to bring them to repentance. Ask God to reveal himself to them in Jesus uh, and for them to start following him. And as we heard time and time again in John, trust in Jesus. That is the thing that leads to eternal life. Trust in Jesus. Uh, That is essential. And so it's foolish to think that God is going to give someone eternal life if they continue to reject Jesus, his promised son and saviour. Uh, Now, John's on a bit of a roll here. He's got a few more things that we need to know, uh, things we need to know if we believe in the Son of God. Uh, The fourth is that we don't continue to sin. Verse 18. Uh, Verse 18. We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who is born of God keeps them safe. uh, And the evil one cannot harm them. Now, we're going to pick up the pace a little bit here uh, because uh, this is something that John's touched on a lot uh, through the letter. Simply is, he's saying, God's children do not sin. They don't sin. He's not saying it's impossible for them to sin. Uh, He's just saying that it's inconceivable that they would want to. Uh, That's not kind of in keeping with God's spirit that lives within them. Uh, And uh, in this last section, like I said, uh, John, he's kind of, uh, it's his greatest hits of the letter. It's, I don't know. Every time I open my computer this week, it's been filled with people's Spotify wrapped or whatever. Did you get that? I'm too nervous to kind of press that button in Spotify because I think it'll spit out all these kids' songs that my kids have been listening to. and It's not really something I want to share. Um, this is like John's Spotify wrapped of his letter, right? He's, he's, he's reminding us of the things that he's hit time and time again. And here he's reminding us that God's children, they will love. They will not sin. They will not pursue sin. That's not who they are. That's not who they are because, the next thing to know, they are God's child. Verse 19. Verse 19. We know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. You see, he's telling them again that as followers of Jesus, we've been born again. As followers of Jesus, we are profoundly new creations. We have been adopted into God's family. We've been given God's spirit. And now that we belong to God, we've been set apart. We've been set apart, which makes a difference to how we see the world around us. You see, the world in which we live, it does not belong to God. The world in which we live, it is under the control of the evil one, says John. And so since we are God's children, we live in this world that is opposed to him. We need to realize that we will be different. Uh, We shouldn't expect that we'll fit in all the time because we won't. As children of God, we shouldn't be surprised, says John, by conversations or discussions or things that happen around you that just make you feel awkward or out of place or uneasy. As children of God, John says we should brace ourselves for that because as children of God, we live in a world that is controlled by the evil one. And so when those moments of awkwardness come, when the pressure comes, we can comfort ourselves as God's children with the knowledge of the sixth thing. We can comfort ourselves that we know the true God. Uh, Have a look there in verse 20. Verse 20, we know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true by being in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. 
Now, I've, I've cheated a little bit there because there's two mentions of no in uh, verse 20. I didn't really, if you realize. Um, and seven would have been a great biblical number to have seven things that we know. Uh, but these two are kind of connected, so I kind of put them together. Um, it's about knowing the true God because we know his son, Jesus Christ. Uh, it's about knowing the true God because we know his son, Jesus Christ. See, God has taken the guesswork out. Uh, God doesn't want us to wonder whether he exists or not. God doesn't want us to wonder what he is like. He has revealed, he has shown us in his son, Jesus. And therefore, by knowing Jesus, we can know what the true God is like. And that's the key word there, isn't it? True. That word true gets repeated three times in this one verse. We know him who is true. And we are in him who is true. By being in his son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Uh, now, truth is a kind of slippery idea these days, uh, especially when it comes to God. And to claim that you know the truth and that others might be ignorant of the truth, that's almost the most offensive thing that you can say. Uh, hence the pop- popularity of agnosticism. But John doesn't have a problem with that. John is saying there is one true God. And John is saying that as a follower of Jesus, you know the one true God, which is an extraordinary privilege. And knowing this one true God through his son, Jesus Christ, you now know the way to eternal life. And John has now brought us back to where his passage began. That's really the whole driving point of this letter all the way through. So if you are here today, And if you believe in the Son of God, if you're here today and you truly believe that Jesus is the Christ, then whoever you are, wherever you are from, whatever your background, whatever you've done, if you believe in Jesus, you can know God. And you can know that you have eternal life. And if that is not enough, know that God hears you. That he answers your prayers. That, that you do not continue to sin now because you belong to him. Because you are his child. You know the one true God who is the source of eternal life. And because we know all of this, well, it makes John's last little sentence make sense. Do you notice that last sentence of the whole book? Uh, verse 21. Uh, Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. Um, for a long time I thought John must have been running out of parchment. Uh, and he's got this whole thing on idols that he wanted to say, but he ran, out of, he ran out of space, so he just tacked it on the end, kind of like me at the end of an exam, where there's like a whole kind of third of the question that I wanted to answer, but I've run out of time, and so I just write a sentence to, to let the examiner know that I've got things to say about this. Uh, where does this sudden mention of idols come from, from John? He's not mentioned idols at all up until this point. But I, when we think about it, when we read the letter closely... It actually makes perfect sense that this is where he lands. I actually think this is a natural conclusion from everything that we've seen. You see, remember, John is writing to a group of people who are under pressure from all sides to give up on Jesus. They're being told by those around them that Jesus is not the Christ, that he's not the Son of God. Uh, They're being tempted to turn away from Jesus. And whenever they turn away from Jesus and whatever they turn to other than Jesus, well, that will be an idol whether it's a little statue or whether it's money or whether it's another God or whether it's uh, their own good works, to turn away from anything, to, to turn away from Jesus to anything else would be to turn to an idol. 
And so John is saying here, uh, what is really obvious after everything he's said so far, don't do it. Don't turn to anything else to save you. Don't turn away from Jesus. Keep trusting in him. Keep treasuring him. Keep worshipping him because he alone is the one who can give you eternal life. He alone is the one who can reveal God to you. He alone is the one who can make you one of God's children. So you'd be mad to turn from him and go and worship an idol. Uh, in 2011, a man named Michael was clearing out his great aunt's house uh, after she passed away. Some of the contents of this uh, old house were uh, left to him in the will. And he was down in the basement uh, emptying out a cupboard and he noticed there was some, uh, at the bottom of the cupboard were some dusty comics. Um, and so he put them in a box uh, with all the other boxes to get shipped back to his house and he didn't give them a second thought. Uh, when the boxes arrived at his house, he was kind of unloading them from the truck and talking to a friend and said, oh, this one's got some old comics in it. And the friend said, oh, maybe you should look up to see if they're worth anything. Uh, a quick Google search later and Michael's world was turned upside down. Uh, of the comics his great uncle had collected, uh, it, it turns out they were worth about $5 million. Um, there's a list, apparently. There's a, an authoritative list of the 100, uh, 100 most valuable comics in the world. In that collection, he had 44 of them. Now, Michael, knowing the value of these comics, knowing the value of what, what they were worth, how precious they were, he would be mad, wouldn't he, to, to, to kind of throw them away or to bury them at the bottom of the closet, gathering dust. And in some way, that's what John is doing here at the, fin at the end of his letter. To this group of people who are being tempted to turn away from Jesus, to, to ignore him, to tempted to chuck him out because uh, they don't think he's all that important anymore. Well, John is reminding them of how valuable Jesus is. Reminding them that if they stick with Jesus, that if they believe in the name of the Son of God, that they can know for sure that they have eternal life, that they can know for sure they have so much more. And so John is saying, whatever you do, don't turn away from him. Because as John wrote in verse 12, and we'll finish with these words. Chapter 5, verse 12. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for all that we have in Jesus. We thank you that we have eternal life. We thank you that we don't just have it, but we know with certainty that we have eternal life in him. And so, Lord, help us to live this life with great assurance. Help us to treasure and value Jesus uh, and not be tempted to worship any other things. And, Father, we pray uh, that we might know with certainty uh, that we are your children, that you hear our prayers, that we can know you, the one true God. And Lord, we pray that we might hold fast to this each day of our life as we wait for Jesus to return. And we pray these things in his name. Amen. Uh, we're going to respond to God's word by reminding ourselves that uh, that perseverance, that endurance, uh, that uh, assurance that we have is not because of our efforts, uh, but it's all because of Jesus.
and his work in us. So please stand as we sing together.